Hello friends, I am Ariel Katombela, a friend and disciple of Jesus Christ and a communicator of the greatest narrative of all times, the gospel. And welcome to the Free Indeed podcast. So I know it's been a while since I've been here, but I am back and I am here to stay. And today I want to talk about something that has been on my mind quite a lot. And that is what it means to be a Christian in this day and age. A time where things that are biblical and pleasing to God are often seen as rigid and intolerant to the world. And the things that the world celebrates and promotes are deemed unbiblical and not pleasing to God for us. This puts us in quite a dilemma and puts us at odds with the world. On top of that, it makes it so tricky because we could start questioning what we know to be pleasing to God when the ways of this world seem so convincingly good, even though we know that God opposes them. So in this episode, I want to talk about how we can persist in our faith and convictions, as well as in our love for Christ and his word in the face of convincing but biblically opposing ideals. So let's get into it. Lately, I've been reading through the book of Romans and when I reached chapter 12, I parked on it for quite a long time. It honestly feels like a tiny handbook on how to be a good Christian. Needless to say, the whole chapter is highlighted in my Bible app. Verse 2 particularly spoke into the dilemma that I'm talking about and offered a guideline for how we can navigate it. That's why I'll be zeroing in on this very popular verse, verse 2, in today's episode. I'll read it first. So Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. When I read this, I thought about the so-called patterns of this world and what they look like in the world we live in today. The ones that this verse warns us not to conform to. And to be honest, it's almost as hard to point them out as it would be for a fish to realize that it is submerged in water. Unless, of course, it is presented with an alternative, which is not being in water. As humans, we are born into a sinful world with sinful tendencies. And unless we are offered an alternative, there is no way of discerning what is wrong and what is right. It's so crazy that this part of Christianity is so offensive to people. People are always quick to reject and oppose this, saying I'm a good person, so I can't accept that. Yet... There's this general consensus that the world we live in is messed up, whether you're Christian or not. And there's also consensus that all people are the cause of this messed upness. We even see it in babies who have very few inhibitions. They are prone to disobedience and bad behavior unless they are reared to do otherwise. Like I said in the example of the fish, unless it is presented with an alternative to being in water, the fish won't question whether or not there is another way to exist. The same goes for us. The ways of this world that are so offensive to God are our norm. Luckily, God offers us alternatives. And this is what some of them look like. First, we are told in Romans 2 verse 14 to 15. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts either accusing or defending them. 
This speaks into the law of nature and what is now known as morals. Things we know not to be good without even being told, like killing, stealing, and harming someone. This verse tells us that the law of God is written on our hearts, whether we know it expressly or not. There are many philosophical arguments around this, but this is not the episode about philosophy, so I'm not going to get into it like that. Another alternative we are given is the word of God. The written law and the revelation we find in scripture. We are told this in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. That all scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, tra and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lastly, the Lord offers us his own spirit to teach us what pleases him. Um, and we see this in John 14, 15 to 16. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So I'm going to try back everything I'm saying with scripture. <laughs> I don't want you guys to think that I'm thumb sucking here. Anyways, these are the ways in which God teaches us his will, offering us knowledge for an alternative to our sin. Of course, bearing in mind that the forgiveness of those sins are offered by Jesus to all those who choose him. But let's look at the so-called patterns of this world a bit deeper. A pattern of this world, so to speak, is the way of thinking and living that is prevalent in the era we live in today. So for us, this era is known as the postmodern era. You probably have heard it before. But a person smarter than me named Bradley Truman Noel identifies the following values that characterize this era. He highlights three in particular. Number one, the rejection of rationalism as an exclusive arbiter of arriving at truth. So defining truth is definitely a major characteristic. Secondly, emphasizing on lived experience. And uh, that means validating the experience of the individual instead of elevating objective ideas. And finally, emphasis on the community as a locus of meaning. So finding a sense of belonging. It's important to know that these values were progressively developed as a pushback to modernism. As humans, we have the propensity to rightfully steer away from ideas or philosophies that are not conducive to the well-being of society and individuals. But the problem comes when we look at broken systems and flawed thinking to determine what is good. And what is good? The all-encompassing truth of Jesus through the gospel. As you probably know, and are probably experiencing, Christianity is really under fire from a values and justice perspective. And a lot of the philosophies that are embraced by the world are a pushback on biblical thinking that have been considered harmful. Truth is, firstly, many of these values were not Christian, um, i.e. erasing of people's culture, enslavement, misogyny, etc. These things were often used for self-gain under the guise of Christianity. On the other hand, some of them really are things that the Bible says are wrong, but the world we live in have embraced as good and right. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being present at a talk by the now late and absolutely brilliant apologist, Dr. Ravi Zacharias. During the Q&A session, he gave this answer to a question that I can't even remember, to be honest. He said, it is not wise to judge a philosophy by its abuse. And I think that is the problem with the way that people understand Christianity and the values of the Bible. 
Also, sometimes what the world says is good, the Bible does blatantly say that is not right. So I think we have to look at that as well. And the challenge for us Christians then is to come to terms with some of the things that we know the Bible says is wrong, but the world embraces as good. An author by the name of Brian Myers offers a very interesting perspective on humanness and human desire in his book, Walking with the Poor. So he makes the suggestion that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they did not just compromise humanity's relationship with God. But get this, he says they also compromised humanity's relationship with the environment, with others, individuals, humanity's relationship with themselves as well as with communities, groups of people. If we take into perspective what he has to say, we realize that in centralizing ourselves as a standard for what is good and just, we hinge our definition of justice and goodness on something that is fundamentally broken. So when we do find ourselves questioning the word of God, our default should not be glorifying the prevalent opinion or so-called pattern of this world as the alternative. Instead, we should anchor ourselves in seeking truth and trusting that God will unveil that truth to those who seek it. So the prevalent way of thinking and determining what is good today is centered on people's experiences and their desires. Ultimately, viewing happiness as the ultimate purpose for human beings. As Christians, defining truth, justice, or defining our purpose is centered on Christ and Him glorified. When we center the definition of truth and goodness on our flawed humanity and desires, that's when we begin to develop what the Bible describes as the patterns of this world. And honestly, you'll pick it up in some of the things that we see today. Some examples are, firstly, the tendency to glorify self-indulgence and giving in to every whim of one's flesh. This is now deemed in our society as true freedom. The biblical position can be found in verses like Psalm 37 verse 4. It says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That calls us back to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Basically putting delight in Christ first and then everything else will follow. Another pattern of this world is the fear of man rather than the fear of God. And this is disguised as tolerance and love. But the Bible tells us to love rather than to tolerate. Romans 12 verse 9 says, Love must be sincere. Detest what is evil and cling to what is good. Love must be sincere. These are the things we are warned to not conform to, but instead test and approve what God's will is. If we embrace the human-centered perspective, we will easily be deceived into embracing these seemingly righteous goals. I say this because things like joy and love are righteous things, but the means in which the world thinks these things will be attained are fundamentally flawed. So, how then should we know how to seek a Jesus-centered way of seeking goodness and justice? To answer that, let's look at Romans 12 verse 2 again. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. We've covered what that looks like. I hope sufficiently. But be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So therein lies the answer. 
but be transformed by renewing your mind. To that, you'll probably ask, what does that mean? And how are we supposed to be transformed by renewing our mind? I want to take it back to the original question. How are we to remain in the ways of the Lord and have love for the word of God when the world seems to oppose what we call good and holy and has labeled them as bigotry? Here are some ways that I think would be helpful. Firstly, we need to learn to trust the word of God and love the God of the word. When I disagree with Christians on certain things and I point to the word or the Bible so that we can arrive at a conclusion and they tell me, well, I don't believe this part of the Bible or I don't trust the Bible. I don't trust this writer. That for me is where the discussion ends. Because if you don't trust the word from where you're formulating your ideas about Jesus, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 again says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to trust that God had initiated and ordained for us to have access to the scriptures and that through it, he reveals himself and his truths to us. So when approaching the word of God, we must realize that the Bible exists to reveal God to us. And that from Genesis to Revelation, we are pointed to the revelation of the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. This is the core purpose of scripture. When I say we should learn to trust the word of God and love the God of the word, this is what I mean. Realize that we can trust the Bible because it is from him for us. We need to get to know what he's like and the heart behind his laws, instructions and the truths that he shares through his word. So we must read the word to discover who he is, then trust what he says based on what we know about him and who we know him to be. When you know him, you will learn that he is trustworthy, faithful, loving, and kind. Let his character and nature inform the lens through which you view his will, his laws, as well as his truth. Secondly, realize that Jesus warned us that we would not be liked. On this point, I want to highlight what I said about the fear of man being disguised as tolerance. We all want to be liked, but it must never be at the expense of life-saving eternal truth. Jesus himself was hated, and when we carry the message he did, we too will be hated. I want to read a Facebook post by a Christian artist called KB, who offers such good insights on the position Christians should take on justice issues. He said these words, in light of the recent Black Lives Matter protests. If your wagon is hitched to Jesus, you'll inevitably find yourself agreeing, intersecting and aligning with all kinds of movements and political camps as you travel through this world. But rest assured, at some point, Jesus is going to complicate things and probably get you kicked out. There is perhaps only a single place where we are truly at home, and that is with God's people. The fact is that we will never be conservative enough, liberal enough, or woke enough to truly be at home in any of these circles. There's going to be parts about your Jesus that will necessarily lead you into tension, and maybe even your cancellation. Welcome that. This makes us the unsung assets of whatever space we find ourselves in because we can speak in and out of those camps with transcendental truths. Our bias is to righteousness. We are nomads in this world and that very fact makes us powerful forces in the movements we ascribe to. Um, But Jesus also tells us this 
blatantly in John 15, 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. We're also told in the Bible about how friendship with the world is enmity with God. Don't get this twisted. He's not saying we should hate people. He's saying we should hate and distance ourselves from the sinful ways of people. But he urges us to love people. So that was point number two. Lastly, allow the Holy Spirit to teach you to delight in what is holy. Almost every time I give a teaching, I have to say this. To all the commands Jesus gives us, he offers us his very own spirit to guide us and lead us. How generous and how aware he is that it is not possible on our own. John 14, 15 to 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I've always read Romans 12 2 to mean, make sure you transform your mind. But that is not what it says. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means to give yourself to the process of being transformed. This will happen as you seek to know Jesus and his will through his word, through knowing him and through his spirit. Only then can we keep ourselves from being for the things that are against him, convincing as they might seem. And only then can we truly embrace him and his truth. I want to add a little bit of something in closing. When we have discussions like this, it is in our human nature to want to be right. I have been guilty of this and I have seen it often with many Christians. The attitude we sometimes approach such conversations with is one of like, wait till Jesus comes back and then you'll see who's right or who's wrong. Again, I say this even exists within the church. That's why I often have to do a so-called vibe check. How can I take stock of my attitude in approaching conversations um, about the validity of the Bible and of the Christian faith? Christianity is not an exclusive club we get to belong to. Neither is it a weapon against people who do not believe. Jesus calls us to make disciples. Our faith, the word, and the Spirit of God are weapons against the enemy for us to bring people to Christ and for us to live in a way that pleases him. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 to 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare is not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. To be Christian is to love Christ, to know him and his will, to constantly seek out what is on his heart for our own lives as well as for the world around us, and then act out on what that will is. So discovering truth through Jesus should humble us and not make us arrogant. It should cause us to be moved by compassion when we interact with those who are far from Jesus. And it should give us the desire to want to share the life-giving truth we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite the ramifications. 
I believe that in the coming days, not conforming to the patterns of this world will take courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is acting despite fear. It will take love. The kind of love that desires to see people saved into the abundant freedom and grace found in Jesus. Lastly, it will take sacrifice. The willingness to count all things as loss for the purpose of knowing Christ. Trust me, I'm praying for this to be true for me. And I pray that it will be true for you too. I want to read Jude 1 verse 24 to 25. It's been such an encouragement to me in my faith. It's a reminder that Christ wants us to succeed. But before I do that, I want to say this. A few people have asked me if I was okay with them sharing my podcast episodes. Please do that. Please go ahead. Especially if you think it will be helpful to somebody. And if you believe it was helpful to you. So go ahead and share this episode. Um, Also, leave a review. That helps me be able to spread the message that I'm sharing better. So now back to that verse that I told you about. Jude 1 verse 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.